1: montano samuels i'm mike bonner and we're gonna uh go to the magnolia state for a little bit mississippi uh recently had a runoff uh between uh set incumbent sydney hyde smith and the challenger uh democrat mike epsi and sp what i say epsi it's difficult no 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 Let, let's keep the let's keep this rolling because i miss that name every single time I've- i said epsi yeah, espy. It's tough because I feel like you don't want to go espy because you just like there's no way it can't be the award. You're just so. making me feel better. <laughs> I have to throw away my magnolia heritage now. I can't even oh, pronounce the senate candidates, although I got the winner correct. You did, Sidney yeah. Hyde Smith won by about 70,000 votes, give or take 80, 80 70, yeah. 80, it 000. was closer than expected, uh, sure. yeah. Um, so we went – we're going to try to look at it because um, – and I asked Sam Hall, who we brought in, uh, my former boss, the executive editor of the Clarion Ledger. He's going to come in and, and we just ask him questions. But one of the things for me that was interesting was, as I said, I still follow a lot of Mississippi people mm-hmm. uh, being there for f- four years. And the election yesterday just popped out of nowhere. Uh, not yesterday. When was it? Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday? Yep. Tuesday. Um, it popped out of nowhere for me. Uh, I didn't even realize that it was happening – and it was kind of i don't want to say jarring but when the alerts came on my phone i, I kind of was pushed back a little yeah. bit because when you look at the election cycle that we saw whether it be going back even almost a year ago more than a year ago probably between Roy Moore and Jug, Jug, Doug Jones oh, there yeah. was this sure. really big national scene and well, then not on, even to mention who was the the georgia election that was supposed to be like a really it was I can't even remember the guy's name. It the election cycles are going by so fast. They are going by you fast. You know who I'm talking about though? It was the Georgia election around the same time as Doug Jones. Uh he was the other candidate. I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna look I will. This up. well i it it got me thinking because when you looked at the general election earlier this month, there was a lot made of competitive races that were in states that primarily always went Republican, and maybe a Democrat could could take that, uh, specifically by the national media. Mm-hmm. And this turned out to be a relatively close race, not surprising in any um, uh, imagination, but we saw this huge push behind uh, Beto O'Rourke, who lost, and everyone thought he was going to lose. Um and then kind of same thing with Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who also was defeated in the in the gubernatorial race. So to me, I, I was really interested in how why this wasn't a bigger political national movement. Why there wasn't uh right. all this um attention to it? And I think Sam really answered that in one of my questions. Uh, we'll bring him on soon as Montana. I am struggling still is struggling here. I am. I can't... We'll we'll talk to Sam, and then we'll we'll see if you can find it. Well, as promised, we have uh, executive editor of the Clarion Ledger, Sam Hall, uh, my former boss as well, Sam Hall, uh, from uh, the newspaper based out of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So, we are talking about the Mississippi Senate race, uh, and I want to kind of start at at the beginning rather than the end uh, Mm -hmm. of the results how how did you see this thing um, kind of evolve after the, the general election? Because from my perspective, I was a little surprised at how, it, at least up here, it felt more under the radar than say the general election when races out of Texas um, and Florida and even the Alabama special election got a lot of hype and a lot of pub. Mm-hmm, and then all of a sudden it seemed like the Mississippi Senate election, again, at least up here kind of appeared out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. So, this was this was always kind of a wait and see um election it it's because it was a special election it was nonpartisan, partisan so everybody ran without a party label and they all ran in a, a jungle primary mm-hmm. uh, basically it's what it's called but it was it was clear that you had uh two big republicans in there cindy Hyde smith who uh, the governor had appointed, and Chris McDaniel, who was a state senator, who almost won this seat four years ago um, when he challenged uh, longtime Senator Thad Cochran. And you also had one major Democrat, Mike Espy, who's a former congressman uh, from here, also a former U.S. Uh, Secretary of Agriculture under Clinton. And there was also a fourth-party candidate who was a Democrat, but uh, he was you know, nobody knew him and was not not going to be a big factor. Uh, basically, it was the, the thought process was if McDaniel could build enough momentum like he did four years ago and make it into the runoff, the Democrats had a chance to pick off the seat. Mm-hmm. If Hyde Smith um, was able to make the runoff, then it was probably going to be a, a safe Um, Republican seat Um, Mississippi is um, you know a deeply red state it's a safe Republican uh, state Um, we only have one statewide elected Democrat uh, the Attorney General Jim Hood who's very popular um, but he's been in office for quite a while and um, so you know it never was much of a threat except for McDaniel. McDaniel carries a lot of baggage from four years ago it was just a uh, and insane in race, he's also very polarizing. And even within the Republican Party, uh, I think the overwhelming uh, thought among a lot of the establishment Republicans were uh, or was that, you know, they could defeat Mike Espy in two years because this is just a two year term or two years left on this term. But they could defeat Mike Espy in two years, but they couldn't defeat McDaniel in two years. Mm-hmm. And they did not want McDaniel to be the long term senator uh, from Mississippi. So that, that's why it was under the radar until um, the runoff. And okay. I think it would would have, would have remained under the radar except for, you know, some of the missteps by the Hyde-Smith campaign.
1: Mm-hmm. I found it interesting, too, that, you know, Donald Trump came down uh, to, to campaign uh, for Hyde-Smith, but we didn't see some celebrity uh, running that we saw in whether it was Texas uh, with Beto O'Rourke or mm-hmm. – um, Uh, Georgia with Stacey Abrams and and Oprah Oprah being from Mississippi and this being a Senate seat, uh, not saying that she should have been there, but I was just surprised that you didn't see more of this blue wave trying to seep into Mississippi when at the end of the day, it was 70,000 votes that kind of separated the two.
0: Yeah. And and again, right after the, if you just look back at the general election, Mm -hmm. I mean, Hyde Smith had an impressive showing. Okay. Uh, you know, there was a good chance that um, SB, you know, would have led the the general election because Democrats, you know, generally are going to get high thirties um, in, in a you know in any election just by having a D after their name. Um, and so, looking at a three way race, you know, the the Hyde Smith campaign and some of their supporters, you know, they they were making sure, you know, with the press and all that, you know, if if she came in second, you know, they're not surprised about that. Uh, That she came in first and pulled 41.5% of the vote um, was a phenomenal showing. McDaniel could not muster anything. Um, And so just by looking at that, uh, I don't think there was any thought whatsoever that this was going to be a a close race. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when the public hanging comment first started it was one of those things had they handled it properly um you know i don't think that um it would have continued to to grab the attention nationally that it did mm-hmm. so that's one reason that i don't think you saw you know just a whole big groundswell had mcdaniel been in the runoff it would have been a complete now that said um you know, Cory Booker was down here. Harris was down here. There, there were there were some bigger names who came down here, but they were very low key events.
1: Okay, you
0: know, um, and th- the other part of that too is, you know, it's Mississippi, so it was probably just as tactical not to bring a big name down here and do a big event uh, as anything because SV was going to be able to turn out the Democratic base here, black and white, uh, just through ground game and you know. Smaller events, uh, just really pushing on GOTV. Where he needed, if he was going to win, where he needed to to pull votes would have been moderate white voters uh, and independents. And it's a small group in Mississippi, but, you know, they're there. And so bringing, you know, big national Democratic names is not what we're going to do. it.
1: that's a good point. So. And, but you sort of saw the inverse of that with Donald Trump coming down and Lindsey Graham as well. Where, What do you think tactically would have been uh, the best decision to try to wrangle some of those moderate white voters? Um, and what do you think? Were there missteps? What do you think could have been done?
0: I don't know that there was necessarily any missteps. Um, you know, what you saw... Or, or, and I think the votes, if you look at the votes um, and, and the difference between the first election mm-hmm. on the 6th and uh, Tuesday's runoff, Sv increased his vote total, mm-hmm. but percentage-wise, not substantially. And part of that was just because he, he did not do a whole lot before November 6th. Um, he was saving his money and his biggest efforts for the runoff because that was, you know, that was most important. He he did the bare minimum that he had to do going into the sixth because he was in a you know perfect position to make the runoff. Hmm. Uh, only one big Democratic name and two big Republican names. You know, the, the math was just in his favor to make it. Um, so. You know that that was the smart play, okay. and then when you get into the runoff and you've got Hyde Smith as the opponent, then you know again that was that was the worst case scenario for them. So you know I, I think they went in it to turn out as much as they could, and, and they did increase their numbers. But really, the the difference, and I think what what made this so close was if you look at the percentage of the the percentage difference of what she got on the 27th and the combined vote totals between a Hyde Smith and McDaniel on the sixth, Mm -hmm. um, that, that's where the, the big difference is. You saw a, a drop off there. So while he increased his percentage and he did increase his, um, his vote total, uh, it was not substantial uh, enough to, you know, to pull it to an eight-point race. A lot of that was just, you know, Republicans who sat at home. Now, whether that's, you know, McDaniel voters who were just, you know, just disinterested in Hyde-Smith, I'm sure that was some of it, Um, even though, you know, she did well in, like, Jones County, which is his home county, um, turned out pretty much the, you know, close to the same level of votes and all, whether that was, um, you know, just, voters in general who were turned off by, you know, some of the the controversy surrounding her uh, with her comments and then, you know, some of the other stories that came out, Yeah, you know, I don't know what it was, but clearly there was more of a don't support Hyde Smith or vote against Hyde Smith than it was being inspired to go out and vote for Espy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and as solid of a candidate as he is, he's also not, you know, the, that, inspirational, exciting, uh, movement type candidate, Um, and I think the the numbers bear that out too.
1: Okay. And, and so this obviously as, um, especially after the, uh, public hanging comments that Hyde Smith made, I, I think nationally media outlets or people in general started to look a little bit more at this race as somewhere where perhaps it, it could be a closer race than anticipated just because of, the national mood toward these type of things, which I think perhaps it was actually, but um, in my sort of run up to the race, I was, I'm always a bit skeptical of these sort of abrupt national media um, movements to say, Oh, this is a race people can win without some of the historical concepts. And what Mike and I were talking about um, before the podcast is just thinking about if, the Some of the national outlets that cover these races, do you think they have a firm grasp on what Mississippi is and how it votes based on just some of the context about the region?
0: I think some of them do and and I think um you know, and I think some of these you know some of these folks who um, you know. This is what they do. They they study these mm-hmm. uh, congressional districts or they study the state. And they're looking at just raw data. Sure. And, you know, 75, 80 percent of the time, raw data is going to tell you everything you need to know. Right. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the time, it, it's the you know, it's all politics is local. And so, you know, it, it's understanding um, how things have changed in, in certain pockets of the any district or any state. Uh, any kind of local um, issues that may be um, affecting turnout or you know affecting opinions and, and things of that nature so you know there's always going to be something that um, that people miss uh-huh. uh, so the folks who are you know routinely studying the data um, the ones who are you know really digging into it uh, most of the most of the time, if you if you go back and you look at their overall analysis, um, you know they, they weren't far off. They were pretty sure. pretty right. Some of them even closer than than me because I was you know <laughs> kind of spitballing some of it too. You know, <laughs> but um, the where you get you know where the problem comes in are people who are just jumping on us based on an issue mm-hmm. uh, or based on you know a news hook real quick. And then, you know, making the connection to Alabama or to Texas or to, you know, whatever the latest big surprise race was. And they don't have a harm grasp, but, um, you know, they're, they're just speaking on an issue. And they don't even understand uh, a lot of times how certain issues are perceived, you know, locally. It, it goes back to the same, um, the same thing that we saw after Trump's election you know, there was all the discussion of trying to understand, um, you know, the, the mindsets, uh, and the economic fears of certain voters who, you know, would put aside all of the questionable actions and comments and, you know, uh, uh, things of, of, uh, you know, presidential candidates who all the polls showed were, you know, was not even close to winning would could put all of that aside and supporting. And so it's, you know, it's similar to that down, you know, down here or in any state or any district. So those who were just pontificating based on the, you know, issue of the day or the comment of the day or the, you know, uh, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they had a good idea of how it was playing down here and what the impact of that would have been. So,
1: how do you um, think some of those missteps? Two answers were to playing? that one question. Sure. How, how do you I'm think sorry? some of those missteps were playing in Mississippi?
0: So the hanging comment, um, you know, and the hanging comment was mishandled by um, the Hyde-Smith campaign. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to the rest of this really getting out of hand. Um, the, one of the top members of the campaign uh, the Smith campaign um, has fought me on this, you know, time and time again. He loves to blame the media um, mm-hmm. um, for this getting out of hand, that we made it something bigger than it wasn't. Um, and what happened was that, you know, the initial comments were reported. Right. And they said, oh, well, we'll get you the full quotes, we'll get you the full um video and all like that. And they never did uh, until, you know, the next day. So it's kind of a slow response, which, you know, it was a Sunday. They still had plenty of time to do it. What really hurt them, though, was when they gave the response to it. And instead of clarifying it and offering an apology to anybody who was offended and moving on, they doubled down on it. And that was the wrong thing to do because it really was not – Uh, I do not believe, honestly do not believe was any kind of dog whistle or meant in any kind of racial way. Um, If you listen to the full comment and the full quote, um, it doesn't make sense to be that in that context. She's also standing out on the courthouse lawn in, you know, uh, in front of a big group. She knows she's being filmed and all like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's a cattle rancher and, you know, that's a, it's not a common term to a lot of folks, but, you know, public hangings and all that, it's, it's weird. And it's a stupid thing to say if you're running for office, especially if you're running for office in Mississippi, really? given the connotations of what of hangings usually mean in Mississippi. But I just don't think that was, you know, I don't think that was what she meant. And you knowing her history here and her background here, it it's also would have been out of character. What was out of character too was the way she handled it, though. Um, I mean, she was just given terrible advice to double down on it and to say, "Well, that's stupid that anybody thinks that," uh, which is not exactly what she said, but essentially what what the the comment was saying was that, you know, I didn't mean anything by that, and this is just the liberal media and the Democrats trying to twist my words, and it's all their fault.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Instead of saying, "You know what? It was just a, it's just the saying," you know, I. I Bad choice of words, especially given the connotation that it could mean to hear. I certainly didn't mean uh, any harm by it, and I apologize to anyone who was offended by it, and then moving on. Um, And then the next day, she had an endorsement event with the uh, uh, National Right to Life group, and there was a press conference there. And at that press conference, I mean, five or six times she was asked this question, and five or six times she just said, "We released a statement. We stand by the statement." I mean, she was ill prepared mm-hmm. for that question, um, and it took the governor to, you know, I think the first words when he was asked about it, you know, he kind of joked. He said, "Well, uh, I understand, she released the statement, you know," <laughs> and it, and then he 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 said, "Look, I know her hard. I know, you know, who she is." Uh, and I know she certainly didn't mean anything by that. And, you know, he basically said up front there what she should have said. And I think it would have diffused a whole lot of anything else that came about. Um, and so how that all played down here was more about, and, and I heard this a lot from the SP folks too, was more about how just poorly the aftermath was handled than it was about what she actually said, Mm -hmm. but it gained legs. And then every other, you know, little thing that came up gave more credence to this, um, this story about what she's like. And so it, it played much, much differently nationally than it did locally. And, um, you know, it became, um, you know, the Hyde Smith campaign dug in, um, but it, it it gave a lot of people, particularly I I would venture to say McDaniel supporters, uh, who were you know still upset, it just gave people the reason not to go vote for her mm-hmm. um, if they didn't want to. And I think it did cause several people to you know just the way that she handled it, not being able to admit that hey that was a poor choice of words, and you know. I didn't mean anything by it, but I should have said something differently. Just not being able to, to say that, and not being able to handle any of the other uh, controversies that came up. You know, after the, her debate performance was okay, but it was you know highly negative, highly on the attack, which is is a bit different than you see from an incumbent who's mm-hmm. who's leading. You know, usually mm-hmm. that's not the tack that you take. Um, it was a big deal made about the fact that after the debate, instead of going and standing up in front of the press, she sent Roger Wicker out there, and she just left the debate. S.B. answered questions, and she didn't. Um, so there were there were a lot of things just about the way that that her campaign handled things and the way that she personally handled things that I think turned uh, a lot of Republicans off. Uh, and you know, if nothing else, made them think she's not ready for primetime. I'm sitting this one now. The the,
1: the scenarios and the situations you laid out um it's it's something in my mind and i was talking to montana about this uh uh before the podcast about um it there's this there's this feel um from what you mentioned and then i think her her tweet after the victory of the the fake news and the, the fake news and the um throwing the flames on the fire and regardless um at the end of the day if you take all that out it's still the first uh woman senator elected uh from mississippi and i remember when i left mississippi everyone uh republicans democrats whatever there's this chip on the shoulder and they, they said you know tell people that it's a good place tell people that it's not you know what you read about and i'm curious democrat republican re- just looking at mississippians are they able to um be proud of this moment or are they still kind of upset that that everything is kind of it looks like a circus the the, the national per, uh narrative is that it's a circus rather than an, maybe a proud moment of you know showing the growth uh that the state has has seen in terms of electing either a its first woman uh senator or its first uh, african american male since reconstruction
0: well i think probably and and i don't know this for certain Mm -hmm. but based on everything i see on social and all i think from the national perspective i think all of the positive gets lost right um and you know that's that's sad um yeah i will say that tweet was not her um that was that was her campaign Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm 99.9 percent sure i know who did it um he all but admitted that he did it um and, but it was childish mm-hmm. and um you know but i've had republican leaders call me yesterday and some of you know our political editor our cartoonist you know and we're like you know shaking the heads can't believe that he did that right <laughs> because you know right they're they're they won and they're sitting in the aftermath of a great victory and that's just a childish thing to to do um and what was even funnier about it or sadder about it was the fact that, you know, they they mentioned several folks in the tweet, you know, like myself or the Clarion Ledger and, you know, a couple other sites who never even touched that story because, you know, we looked at it and said, that's not a real story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't provide the proper context. Um, first of all, she was a child. She didn't get to choose where she went. Second of all, while those segregation academies did exist for that exact reason, you really can't say they all still exist for that reason today. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a sizable group who send their students or their children, especially in rural areas, you know, to private schools because, you know, they want, you know, that they're not comfortable with a majority black school. Um, I'm not going to lie or pretend that that doesn't exist. I know it does but there's also a lot of other reasons um, that people choose, you know, private schools. And there's a lot of private schools in this state that were started, you know, before the segregation or well after the segregation, you know, Academy movement uh, that have nothing to do with that. Um, And, you know, so it was, it was not one of those stories that you could, um, you know, really do anything. It's one of those stories that got legs because of the mishandling of the, the previous, you know, stuff. But, You know, and so that's a shame because that's one more misstep. You know, the same guy who did that tweet, the same person who gave her the bad advice on how to handle the, uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, the, the other, Uh, and that's sad. Uh, He was, you know, involved in Cochran's 14 race too, that, you know, uh, they had to reshuffle real quick because Cochran almost lost that. It went to a runoff as well, but that aside, there's a lot of positive things. First of all, she was, you know, she is the first woman elected, Uh, to Congress from Mississippi. And that's, you know, that's a huge thing. Now, that's also one thing that she was, you know, she was asked about several times and uh, it was one of the things that while she acknowledged, you know, she, she didn't run on that. Mm -hmm. She did not want that to be the issue. She wanted, you know, issues to be the issue. Um, I won't say that she shied away from it, but I can't think of a single time where herself highlighted it. I mean, she would acknowledge it. And certainly she, you know, say that she would, you know, be, be proud to have that, um, um, you know, title or footnote. I can't remember how, how she placed it, but she, you know, she was also quick to point out that, you know, that's not the first time that, you know, she's been the first female, uh, of certain things. And, you know, it's just not something historically that she's, you know, worn as a, Um, a big symbol because, you know, she feels like um, the work that she does and the achievements that she does should be recognized based on merit and not based on, you know, because she's a woman or because, you know, um, you're, you're the first female for this or the first black person for that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But that's admirable. Um, But yes, I mean, that's still something that, you know, we pointed out, I noticed several people, you know, beat up on the media for not pointing that out, um, in her victory. And it was focused on, um, particularly the national media, you know, how she overcame a a divisive race to win, Mm -hmm. but that was, you know, that was the narrative that ended up being there. And, you know, that's, that's kind of sad. The other thing that I'll point out too is, um, you know, Mike Espy is, that was the closest, um, Senate race we've had since, uh, Trent Lott beat Wayne, Wayne Dowdy back in the eighties. And this is a, a black statewide candidate who, you know, ended up with, um, uh, 46% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the most of any black statewide candidate, uh, to date. And again, uh, you know, people will say, well, that's because it was, um, You know, race was involved and all like that. Well, yeah. And usually the the general mindset is if race is an issue, then you're going to see more white voters come out Uh, um, and, you know, vote against it. They they point to the flag vote, they point to, you know, the uh, uh, Obama vote. Um, But if you go back and you look at it, like I said, he increased his numbers but not by the same margin that she decreased that she decreased the the combined Republicans. So, you know, there's, there's a positive message in that, that, you know, people right or wrong, those who, who viewed Hyde Smith as having some sort of, you know, racial animosity or or prejudice to her, um, you know, they they sat down from the Republican side and, and didn't vote. And so, you know, again, that's another positive uh, that I think that you can take away from it. It's just an evolving electorate um, where race is um, still a major factor down here. Don't get me wrong, but you can you can start to see it changing. Um, and I think significant enough that it made a difference in this one.
1: I'd like to point out that I, I was the one who brought the positive just for any of the Mississippi listeners out there. I was the one who who sparked this positive uh connotation. So I'll turn it over to Montana now for his question, but I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to. Mike's still addressing the trolls of Twitter past. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, I, I I just sort I don't of, know what you're talking about, Mike. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, <no> clue. <laughs> I would love to see your blocked or muted Twitter list though. Actually oh, uh I've publish, I've,
1: right. I've I've I think I've only blocked one person ever, I think, and uh muted a, a few out? more. I don't even remember the, the handle. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah,
0: I, I don't I don't block people. No, neither do I. I don't give them the, the satisfaction of knowing, but I mute a whole lot of them and I I would imagine that um, you and I have muted a lot of the same probably. people just because <laughs> of
1: <to> your <laughs> base. Probably, probably. Yeah. I yeah, I, I don't I think I've only blocked one person and I can't remember who it was, and even if I did I would not announce who it was just to, to give that you person. Give me a plug. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember even and, now.
0: One more, just little thing for Mike to and I to, you know, share insight on. What's I, most ironic about it? I just from the sports side, I, I have no doubt. I don't even have to look at it. I've muted far more MSU people than Ole Miss people.
1: That <laughs> you're gonna get in trouble.
0: I'm an, MS, I'm an MSU fan, though. I mean, and most of the old you know, especially all the, you know, uh, you know, most of the Ole Miss people know it. You know, I'm, I don't hide it on Twitter. You know, uh, Hugh, you know, your old sports editor, mm-hmm. my, who who's here, <laughs> and, and and when, uh, well, I don't know if he was sports editor when you were here. I think, but he he covered all. This. He was, yes. But he used to joke. He was yep. he? A, he used to joke during state games. He'd send me text, you know, or, or DMs, and say, "Do I need to call your wife and get her to take the phone away from?" You? <laughs> um, so you know, I always keep my cool during egg bowl and don't say anything, and you know. I always support Ole Miss unless they're playing state, and then I just stay quiet. But it, it's hilarious that, you know, the number of trolls who are state fans and some of my good state fans, you know, good friends who are state fans just laugh at them because they're like, these people have nothing better to do um, than than troll writers and, and folks. Um, but it, they also all had about a 100 Twitter followers, except <laughs> for one. Except for one, and uh, who's the king of them all, and he doesn't have to be named. But I have not muted him.
1: Um, so it is interesting because. Go ahead. People, Sorry
0: about all of that. People would ask me. Yeah. No. People would ask me. And this in. it
1: was. It, it. You don't root for a team, but it's obviously so much easier to talk to a coach or a player after a win and write positive things about them than it is after they lose a heartbreaking whatever. So it was just while you don't care if they win or lose, I mean it. it it, you sell more papers when they win, so right. like anyone who thinks we were hoping they would lose, it's just kind of weird. But anyways, yeah. Montana, no. sorry to no. sorry to uh, no. sidetrack on SEC I, uh, Mississippi you're used, sports. You're coverage. using logic, Mike. You're I know, using logic. I know, you know I know. Right. That's and I learned that you don't do that on Twitter. You just step away because no. logic's not gonna yeah. not gonna help anyone. No, I really just had one one last <laughs> question, kind of wrapping up. I feel like we. Might just want to end it on Twitter, but I'll offer it in case you have sort of a um, sort of a last. Um, I I was a lot of this was built up as we saw a lot of national storylines develop over this, mainly around race, right? I was just curious if you had, from the Mississippi perspective, not the New York Times perspective or the Hill perspective or different national outlets, what do you think is the storyline after? The the election is over. What do you, What do you think is the sort of message that'll stick in the minds of people from Mississippi, not nationwide?
0: I think it really.
1: That's a tough one. I think
0: largely it matters which side they were on. Mm. I think you know, there's three perceptions out there. I think um, those who were hard for Hyde Smith will, you know, take the line of, you know, the Democrats and the liberal media and the outsiders did everything they could to try to, you know, tar and feather her, and it didn't work, and we beat them back. I think those who were hard for Espy or who were hard, you know, anti-Trump are going to say that, you know, a combination of you know uh, racism, one again, but there's also if you talk to the you know, if you watch Twitter, talk to them, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, they see a lot of positive in it um, just because of the fact that you know, SB, you know, black candidate statewide, in Mississippi, 46% of the vote. Um, in just three weeks of really hard, hard campaigning in GOTV, uh, you know, they, they see some hope there. Um, and then I think there's the, the more dispassionate group who look at it and say, you know, um, the race ended pretty much the way that, um, was expected, which was, you know, the Republican winning a, a statewide race in Mississippi. And the closeness was a combination of just the, the missteps and the mishandling. And, you know, yes, the national media um, attention, you know, helped um, drive interest on both sides, drive money to both sides. Um, but, you know, there's, there's not, you know, the Republicans see it as a win is a win. And, you know, they, they had a, a huge voter turnout um, operation going, um, one that they really started developing, um, or they've been developing for years, but, uh, put in place real quickly, um, during that, that runoff, um, four years ago, uh, I was hearing people talk about, you know, this, this time it was, you know, Republicans, then it was Republicans versus, you know, Tea Party insurgency type bill. This time it was Republicans all working together, um, you saw a little bit of it, um, um, the last couple of years, but this year was their first time to really, um, get out there on a statewide level, uh, where it was a Republican versus a Democrat in a really heated contest. And that's going to be good for Democrats and Republicans, um, Republican parties, because Democrats feel the same way, they feel like that, uh, the last couple of years, they've been able to really build up a stronger network the party has you know um, not been in a good place for quite a while um, not having you know real strong statewide leadership except for you know one person um, will do that to any party and so them being able to to get out there and uh, you know build some some networks and rebuild some of their infrastructure uh, is going to help going into next year because Mississippi has statewide elections next year, our state elections are next year, so we're an off-election year. It's Louisiana, Kentucky, and us who, who uh, do it oddly. But um, there there will be a really strong governor's race next year. Uh, Jim Hood, who's the attorney general, the Democrat, lone Democrat, is running for governor. Um, I don't know of anybody who's going to challenge him, so he's probably going to be there for the general. Um, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves is a Republican; his odds on favorite. Um, Right now, of no one who's running against him, in the primary, though, there continues to be a lot of talk about people wanting um, someone to to run against him. He is. um, He's fairly popular, but he's not the most popular, you know, he's not kind of the the populist type Republican that Bill Bryan is. So, um, you know, but. Uh, that's going to be a, a monumental race that Democrats feel like they have a, an opportunity to win. Republicans acknowledge that, you know, it's going to be a hard fight, but Reeves is still the favorite in that. And so I think they, I think both sides have a lot of, a lot of momentum and a lot of hope going into next year. Um, and, and I think that's what um, the more dispassionate folks, the the people who are just not hardcore one way or the other, um, I think that's what they see, um, and, and I, I think it's going to say a lot about how uh, both parties and the candidates for both parties in the governor's race on down handle some of the issues that um, that come about, race included. Um, you know, Republicans continue to talk about here just like they do nationally um, how they need to you know find ways to um, win over more. Um, minority voters, and in Mississippi, where you continue to see um, the minority population grow and grow, um, despite how solid red and Republican it, it is today, um, you know we're edging up on 40% of the state uh, being African American. It doesn't turn out as strong as the the white electorate, but it's getting to a point to where these races should become more competitive if you just look at demographics and you know, anybody who's watching those numbers can, can realize that. And so, you know, it's, it's imperative, I think, for the Republicans to be able to handle issues like this that come up uh, in a much better fashion than they did. And um, you know, that's, that's difficult. It's, you know, it's, it's difficult for anybody to do um, but it's, it's definitely a challenge and, and Democrats have, have struggled with it just, you know, just as much. So, um, I think next year will, uh, the storyline will continue. And I think there, I think there will be some more national interest, especially in our governor's race, because presidential race will kick off, of course, next year. So there'll be a lot of focus on it. But election wise, we're one of uh, three. Um, and, and that's another reason, you know, we got so much attention this time. There was not just a whole lot going on after that. So you, you go where the elections are. Um, so.
1: And there's a good uh, story on clarionledger.com today. Uh, Can Democrats claim win in MSN2? Uh, it kind of gets into the immediate reaction, too. So everyone should kind of go out yeah. and, and check that out as well. Yep. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this has been really uh, educational and a great conversation. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. For those of you who really hung on uh, with us from the beginning, John Ossoff was that name i was searching for uh yeah once again i have not researched the topics so i'm going to speak on uh prior that's to why uh, people tune in that's why report. they love you yeah i well thanks guys but so anyway a an interesting um portion of this conversation that sam brought up was um well and, and mike brought up as well was the tweet in the aftermath of the victory right the sort of Um, we can post a link to the tweet in the bio, but basically it was sort of trying to debunk the fake news notions of the racial storylines that were going on in the race. And um, Sam spoke to maybe that was a a misstep in the sense that, well, you already won. That's just going to sort of maybe polarize some more people that weren't really excited about your candidacy in the first place. But the, the first thing that came to my mind was that seems like a very Trumpian Twitter tactic, right? Um, And and I think maybe we're just entering rather than that. Now, whether it's a misstep or not is obviously up for debate, but it does seem like a tactic that is being utilized by more politicians than just in this race and Donald Trump now. It, It seems to be spreading the sort of like claiming your victory notion. Yeah, I think, and that's why I asked the question uh to Sam about the pride in the state, because I read a New York Times article uh about the topic saying that some were the achievement of electing a woman the mm-hmm. first uh in Congress was overshadowed by the circus events on social media or the right. at what whatever she was saying or then not apologizing for and the idea that there was a black man and a female running for a open Senate seat Mm -hmm. was, was missed. And I think there's a lot to be said about that in general. I really think it goes back to our podcast of last week of Americans, Mm -hmm. Republican and democratic just want people that can represent their country that everything, everyone's proud of where they're from but it's difficult to back someone who it Sam put it perfectly, acts childish after a win. You know, there it, it, it's some people even play a sporting event of a game mm-hmm. and kind of frown upon. We don't have to get into this point, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying <laughs> sure. you know, gazing at your home run or spiking the football on sure. the opponent's face sure. or anything like that. Act like you've been there before, type of thing. And yeah. so if we can do that in the sports arena when you're an elected official, regardless of party, you know, there's some leadership and some decorum that kind of follows all that. And I think you're hitting on that point exactly where if that's the realm we're going into Mm. of spiking the football on each other's faces after a victory. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know if I have a well-prepared comment on the morality of that per se but i i think it's just an interesting thing to see right i think it's um, it's it's a point that is brought up because i think you really kind of have and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves are two doctrines really the yeah. Michelle Obama yeah, oh, doctrine yeah, yeah. of when they go low sure. we go high and, and the Donald, Donald Trump, Trump track, yeah. uh doctrine of just we just go right yeah i i think um what interesting about that to me is how it stokes the fire of the fandom of that politics is developed into right i think mm-hmm. sam talked to that as well he he said it was very divided what but it, he he said there were three sort of contingencies of people um the hyde smith fans I'll, I'll i'll use the word fan because i think it actually articulates it pretty well the hyde smith fans the sp fans and then sort of the disillusioned voters who were maybe unhappy with how the process turned out and i i think perhaps the parties are just sort of veering off even further at that point where maybe the republicans are almost sort of post policy and more personality and where democrats are sort of trying to like find a middle ground as to um how to navigate this world where they are sort of the they are getting the football spiked in their face perhaps in these moments. But yeah, I, I think that was just sort of an interesting thing I saw. And I think to Sam's point, um, that this will be an, I, I don't think many people, if you would have said, what race are you looking out for in 2020 would have said Mississippi. But I think perhaps now a, a light may be shined on the Magnolia State, as you say. Yeah, I think the the, the point that I took that was, that was really uh, interesting to me that really showed his insight was, why it wasn't uh celebrated uh in terms of bringing national figures into mississippi right. uh because it's it is mississippi and that's tactical as well where you don't yeah. need uh outsiders to to kind of tell uh as i know that's something i dealt with um you know you, you almost have to gain your stripes a little bit yeah. in order to be uh yeah. to take to be taken seriously yeah yeah i i think that's sort of a good place to wrap um but, yeah, th- I, I think we'll just be keeping an eye on Mississippi, which is not something I, I think I ever would have found myself saying. There you go. This podcast. So a true Magnolia State uh, transformation. The positivity Montana. of Mike Bonner. That's what he does. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Mike Bonner, a positive light in all of our lives. This has been The Bubble. Uh, thank you, Sam, for coming on. And uh, we hope you'll have his-